Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Well, good morning. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Would you take your Bibles and open with me to the Gospel of Luke? In chapter 19. As we look at Luke chapter 19, today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday itself is a day of dramatic contrast. It involves a celebratory parade of, uh, of rejoicing people who cry out, Hosanna, which literally means save now. Cry out, Hosanna, on Jesus' approach. It also involves Jesus pausing just before the city as he looks over it and weeping. It's a day of laying palm branches and coats on the road ahead of the Lord, but it's really only days before Jesus would, on those same roads, pick up and carry a cross on the streets of the city. It's a day when the Prince of Peace comes into the city of peace and enters the table only to, as we looked at last Sunday evening, to flip over the tables and drive out the merchants who had perverted the very purpose of God for the house of God. It's a day of contrast. One scholar said, this day is pivotal. He said, quote, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he could have managed to live a long, happy, and peaceful life. But his actions on Sunday set in motion a series of events that could result in either his overthrow of the Romans and the current religious establishment or his brutal death, end quote. Palm Sunday is a big deal. It's a big deal. It starts what, we, uh, what we've known throughout the ages and observe as Holy Week. And I want us to look at it today. Because see, here's, here's the deal. I want you to know that Jesus rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday. Listen, not for a coronation, but to set in motion the events that led up to a cross and ultimately to our salvation. We're in Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 28. And can I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of the Word of God? Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. The Scripture says, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, and, and he had sa- after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you there. As you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has yet, no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. 
When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Would you pause right there? And Father, even in these moments, I pray that uh, we would not only hear from you and understand from your word all that you would desire for us to know about this victory of a coming king, but I pray you would apply it in such a way that we would leave not with information, but rather having experienced transformation, that you would use your word in order to bring change in our lives that we might be shaped to reflect the very image of Christ and be hope bearers in everywhere that we go. So Lord, have your will and way. Holy Spirit, teach us even now. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing, you be seated. Hey, if you're following along on the outline, uh, on the app, if you will, I wanna share with you three observations for us to look at on this message, simply entitled Triumph and Tragedy. Now, if you don't have the app, but you'd like to follow along on the outline, you can text the word notes to the number that you see on your screen, and uh, we'll send you a, an outline, an interactive outline, and I could ask for confession. I may do this next week. I'll give you a heads up. Uh, I believe some people actually download the outline early, and they click on the blanks to fill it in, or they guess what the fill-ins are, and then they go back and correct it. Now, if that's you... And your outline's better than mine if you'll just not correct it and just turn it in after the service. I'd like to get that back, all right? Let me show you these three observations that I want you to see with me. Number one, first thing I want you to see and notice with me is the Lord's entry. The Lord's entry. How does Jesus come into Jerusalem? Now remember that since this is the week of the Passover, the population of Jerusalem is exploding. It's swollen. Some scholars say that the population levels in the city would have been as much as six times its normal population levels in that day. So take a Rocky Mount of let's just say roughly 50,000 people just for good math. It's between 50 and 60 in that area. And imagine Rocky Mount immediately with 300,000 people milling around. You'd be like, holy cow, you can't... Stir them with a stick. It's so thick with people. And that's true in Jerusalem in that day. There's a, an atmosphere, an electricity, if you will, among the population, among the people. And that's the backdrop of this big reveal that Jesus uh, uh, engages in in this day. The same Jesus who performed healings and exorcisms, who raised the dead and, and would walk on the water. The same Jesus who did all of these things only to tell the people, now keep that to yourselves. Don't tell anyone. Now mounts a cult and makes public before a huge crowd his own kingship in a way that they would grasp. It's a big day. Jesus is everything for three years has led to this day where he says, now you're to see who exactly I am. Notice in this story as we've looked at it, uh, how Jesus is sovereign over all of these different circumstances. Notice his display of sovereignty over circumstances. Look at verses 29 and following again. It says, when he approached Bethphage and uh, 
Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you there. And as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one is, has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Can I tell you, that's always a strange set of verses. Now, it's not a fairy tale. In fact, to get the full scope of this, to grab this, can I tell you, they didn't have ride share programs with donkeys in Jerusalem. So if you put that in modern context, modern terms today, it would be like, hey, fellas, go into town. You'll see a red Corvette that's got the keys in the switch. Sit down in it, back it out of the space. If the owner comes out and says, what are you doing my car? Say, the Lord needs it. And then drive on off. Go boost a car in the name of Jesus. Are you kidding me? But that's precisely what takes place here. And by the way, it goes on and says that's exactly what happened. Look at verses 32 and following. So those who were sent went away. By the way, I wonder why they did it. Because I'm thinking that'd be a great setup to a joke, wouldn't it? Hey, Pastor Jordan, you and Dylan head downtown Rocky Mount, find a car, take off at it and say the Lord has need of it. By the way, I knew we wanted to start a jail ministry and y'all are going to be on the front line of that. It's going to be a great idea. It's verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he said to them. And as they were putting the key in the switch, as they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying the colt? <laughs> and they said, well, the Lord has need of it. And they didn't even call the law. The owner of the donkey didn't protest. Now to me, you may say, well, I don't know if Jesus really is who he says he is. Go take a man's car and the owner not protest. Do you know, listen, when they got there, it was exactly like Jesus said. Now that, that shouldn't shock you and I, but I think it might. I found people that were shocked when Jesus answered a prayer. Hello? And he said he would. It's just like he said it would be. Just exactly like he said it would be. And the disciples that went, that's exactly how they found it. The owner, did, by the way, that's not the only time this happens. If you, if you fast forward three chapters to chapter 22, Jesus is getting ready for the Passover and he tells his disciples, a couple of his disciples, he says, go into town. When you get there, you'll see a man carrying a water pitcher. Follow him home. That sounds creepy. We'll talk about it later. Follow him home. When you get there, he'll have an upper room prepared and furnished and ready. Prepare Passover there. I'll see you in a few. And they follow a dude. How did Jesus know? Are you serious? It's Jesus. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he doesn't control. There's nothing he's not sovereign over. And he displays his sovereignty over circumstances. Look at verses 35 and 36 with me. He said, they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. Now, all of this fulfills a picture, if you will. It reminds the people they had heard stories even since they were children of Solomon's entry into, uh, into the city. Notice here, if you're taking notes, jot down 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. 
Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. When Solomon comes into town to be anointed as the king, he's riding a colt. You think Jesus just made up that imagery? No, he, he did it exactly in a picture they would grasp. And oh, by the way, in a way that perfectly fulfilled scripture. If you're taking notes, Zechariah chapter nine and verse nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let me translate that for you. Even on a donkey, no one has yet to sit. That's incredible. And by the way, where he's headed fulfills another prophecy, if you like that kind of thing. He's on his way to the temple, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he'll clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messengers of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. Jesus displays perfect sovereignty. As he makes his way in, this isn't just a parade. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is an affirmation of faith. This is a demonstration of his sovereign power over all circumstances. Jesus is making his way in in a way that puts his honor and his personhood on full display for all to see. He's fully revealing himself to others. Now listen, his status doesn't change based on people's response. It's not like, well, there were some that didn't believe. Oh, well, that changes everything. Jesus isn't going to be king anymore because some didn't buy it. No, his status doesn't change based on how you and I or anyone else believes. But he perfectly revealed just exactly who he is, just exactly what he does, just exactly how he does it. And showed his power over all things in doing it. He's a sovereign king. He's, so he's sovereign over the stubbornness of a donkey that's never been ridden. I mean, you notice that they didn't put any part in there about, and Jesus had to kick the donkey. The donkey, he had to, he had to poke him with a stick because the donkey didn't know to go left or right or whatever. No, that donkey seemed to go exactly where he was supposed to go, and yet he'd never been ridden before. And yet somehow, Jesus' sovereignty, not, over, not only over acquiring the donkey, but on getting the donkey to take him right exactly where he wanted him to go. It's a big deal. He showed his sovereignty over the stubbornness of a never-ridden donkey, his sovereignty over the circumstances, over obtaining its use, over everything. God is sovereign. That's how the Lord entered the city. But notice not just the Lord's entry. Notice, secondly, the people's praise. The people's praise. When Jesus comes in, there's a party going on. Look at verse 37 and following. You may be thinking to yourself, if you're new around here, he seems to be just kind of like going straight down the story. The reason is, is it's a great story. Look at verse 37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The crowd was shouting, praising 
joyful with loud voices over all that they had seen and giving glory to God. The excitement over Jesus is building among the peoples. It's, it's, it's electric, but it's mounting. Jesus is coming from the east side of the mountain. In other words, if you look at a map, and you'd have to turn all the way to the back of your Bibles to find them. But if you were looking at a map, you'd see, well, Jesus is over here, and he comes through Bethany and Bethphage. He comes up the Mount of Olives, and he comes back down the other side. And that's where he gets to, he'll pass by the Garden of Gethsemane exit. And then he'll make his way on through and cross over the Kidron Valley and make his way right into the back doors of the temple. He'll, he'll come right in just exactly the way he's supposed to go. And the closer he gets with every step, the crowds become more and more enlivened. They're praising God. The very promises of God's salvation and the hope of a change in their circumstances, it's right in front of them and they can't contain themselves. The praise is loud. And it's bold. And their praise is based on the miracles they've seen. That word miracles, if you catch that, in other words, there's, it's not just this event. It's not like Jesus just, he just parachutes in and this is the only sentences we have about him. They've got three years of his public ministry of feeding, of healing, of loving, of caring, of concern, of confounding his enemies. He's got all of this history and they're saying, that's him, that's Jesus. That's the one that you heard stories of before you came in for Passover. That's the one where, well, I'd heard rumors about this rabbi that was around. Yes, that's him. And the crowds just got swept up into it. And they began to praise in anticipation of all that having a king would mean to them. Can I just pause right there for a second? I was, listen, everybody gets to praise and worship how you want to. You're supposed to praise and worship how God wants you to, but you get to praise and worship how you want to. I was watching some of you, some of the most reserved praise and worshipers I've ever seen. I thought, man, I bet March Madness is crazy at their house. I mean, they're just partying like crazy. Like, there he goes again. It's a three. Wow. Amazing. Some of you are going, if my team had made it into March Madness, I'd have, I'd have done it. But we were nailed early on. But anyway, you get the idea. Hey, listen, there's a king and there's hope and all that's involved in that is coming into town. And they couldn't contain themselves. They said, man, Jesus is coming. This is a big deal. I think you and I, we already know he's come. In fact, we're not looking for the coming of a king. We're looking for the second coming of a king. He's already come and he's coming back. And every single week when we get together, we get to celebrate. Jesus is coming. We're not wondering. I wonder if the donkey will be untied the right way. When he comes back around, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> Uh, are y'all okay? Some of you need a, you need as much coffee as I had. That's what you need. Look at verse 38 again with me. <laughs> blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hey, blessed is the king who comes in. They're not saying, oh, this is 
this is the very son of God. They're saying this is God's hope. This is the king that God's going to send who's going to lead us, who's going to whoop the Romans, who's going to give us power. Here he comes. Brings to mind Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26. O Lord, do save, we beseech you, O Lord. We beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We've blessed you from the house of the Lord. In other words, we're blessing God because he's sending a king to deliver us. But did you notice that not everyone was filled with praise? There were folks in the crowd that weren't really praising if you were to go look at it, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 38 again. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd. In what crowd? Well, they were just mixed right in there with them. You know, you can find out sometimes, even among those who are praising like crazy, there's Pharisees who are critiquing the way we praise. Are y'all hearing me? I'm by myself again, aren't I? Some of the Pharisees began to say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're religious leaders among them, and they call on Jesus, deny their praise. In other words, they're saying to him, like, tell them you're not the one. Tell them you're not the coming king. Tell them you're not here to overthrow Rome. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. One, they didn't buy into Jesus. But two, they were afraid if word gets out that Jesus has just come in claiming to be a king, the Romans, they're like, they're like a powder keg and all they need is a spark and we're all doomed. So out of their own sense of self-preservation and out of their own denial of who Jesus is and out of all that Jesus is going to upset about their livelihood, they're like, Lord, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus responds not with denial, but with declaration. Jesus says in, well, he said in verse 40, he said, I tell you, if these become silent, even the stones would cry out. If these became silent, if these were to be quiet, if I told them to be quiet, this story's too good. God's behind this story. And if, the, if I told them to be quiet, God would make rocks grow lips and tonsils and voice boxes. And they would cry out. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm hoping that we never get to a spot where the rocks have to cry out in our place. Because we haven't yet bought off on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Or we're afraid of what the government's going to do. Y'all, are y'all hearing me? Have you been reading the news? Dear friend, uh, one of our deacons sent me a note this week and said, uh, look at this write-up in USA Today about Oral Roberts University and how folks, they, listen, they said, it's not a Cinderella team. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of weirdos that want to put down, uh, that tamp down and want to, they're backwards, uh, I'm using my word, fascist kind of people who, who want to deny the personhood of those who are, are LGBTQ+, plus, 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 plus. And because they have archaic policies of their owner, their founder, or Robert, uh, because they hold on to his policies, the NCAA ought to deny them from even participating in here. They're not as progressive as we are. They ought to, can they ought to cancel them and not even let them play ball. God help us. 
Here's my response. Did you really expect anything different? I mean, honest to goodness, the closer we get and the more you act like Jesus, the more those that don't act like Jesus won't like you. Listen, I want them to love us, but that's not going to happen until they first love Jesus. Are you following me? They didn't say we ought to take away their title something or other funding. They said, don't let them play basketball. Well, that sounds like a worthy endeavor. There'll come a day when it'll cost you to name the name of Jesus, friends. Jesus said even the very rocks would cry out. There's a truth that transcends the Pharisees' disbelief. There is a reality that supersedes anyone's denial. God will save. God will fulfill his promises. God will deliver on his word and God will glorify his own name because it's his name. Well, Chris, yeah, I know, but not everybody agrees on Jesus. I mean, the Pharisees, they just disbelieve. Well, I get that. Not everyone thinks the Messiah rode on a donkey into town that day, Chris. I know I get that. But now listen, friends, God's God if no one believes it. And Jesus came to save even if everyone denied it. This scene is, it's no small thing, but But listen, one more thing I want you to see. Not only the Lord's entry and the people's praise, but notice finally the Lord's tears. This is a part that kind of gripped me this week and just had, I just paused. Look at verse 41 with me. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Wait a minute. We've got a party. We've got threats of rock singing. We've got praises. We've got Pharisees. Being told, be quiet. We've got, we've got shouts. We've got palm branches. We've got coats laid in the road. We've got Jesus. We've got all of this. And then it's like taking a, it's like traveling 60 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden somebody slams on the brakes. And now Jesus is weeping. Why? Why is he weeping? These people were looking for for something they didn't, they were looking for peace where it couldn't be found. Look at verse 42 here. Jesus, he wept over the city, verse 42. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. See, the people wanted peace, but they thought peace meant getting rid of the government. The people wanted peace, but they thought peace meant getting to a single understanding of some religious order. The people wanted peace, but they thought peace meant they'd get a stimulus check. If you had only known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. See, sometimes you and I, we think, man, we could actually get to a peace of being settled and being, being a We could get to happiness. We could get to contentment if we could just get our circumstances better. Let me give you a statement here. We want our circumstances to be better, but Jesus came to make us better through our circumstances. See, we're trying to make our world a better place. And Jesus has said, I'm trying to make you better 
through the world. I'm trying to refine you. I'm trying to shape you. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to help you. You're asking me to take the pressure off. And I'm saying it's the pressure that turns you from a lump of coal into something that's valuable. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, they said, Lord, if you could just get us some more money, if you could just cause the Romans to quit bugging us, if you could just cause us to, if you could just make everybody get along, if you could make cake bakers make cakes for people they don't want to make cakes for, everything will be better. And he said, I'm trying to teach you something about what it means to follow after me. And I'm shaping you and I'm working through your circumstance. See, some of you right now are suffering with some stuff. And your prayer has been God to take away the stuff that you're suffering from as opposed to God help me not suffer in these same circumstances. Give me some kind of perspective that lets me know this is not for nothing. That God's using your something that you wish you weren't going through. He's using it to fit you for something else. I could say more. I'm going to let that ride for a second. See, Jesus could have delivered the people from, you realize if he can cause, if he can cause the owner of a, a new Lexus to let his Lexus be taken off by two disciples to come and give him a ride into town, you realize if he could do, if he could cause a donkey to take a rider and he's never had a rider before, if he could cause, if he could cause rocks to cry out, if he could do all that he's done, if he could raise the dead, if he could walk on water, if he could multiply loaves and fish, if he could do all of that stuff, if he could really do all of then he could have delivered the people from what they were going through. But he didn't, even though they prayed for it. But he didn't. Why? Because there's something better on the other side. Jesus would utter prayers like this in the days ahead. Are you ready? John 17, verse 15, Jesus in his high priestly prayer to the Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're like, Lord, take us out of here. If you're not going to deliver us, just take us on. And he said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out. I'm asking you to keep them in and to keep them from the evil one. See, they hoped in their city rather than in the God who established it. Jesus said the temple and the city would be ransacked. They had hopes in the city. They were, they, man, they were like, man, as long as we got the temple, everything's amazing. And he said, there won't be one rock left on top of another rock. Why would he do that? Because this temple had become the object of their hope and their hope was misplaced. Jot down John 2 verses 18 to 20. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us that you have authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? <laughs> Mike, this is probably not going to make any sense, but I thought, this, I thought they'll never get a permit in three days to rebuild that thing. I mean, he's, that, that couldn't happen. You can't get the city to, anyway, I don't know why I thought that, but. By the way, this statement Jesus made became one of the charges that they levied against him. He said he could destroy the temple, he'd be raised up. Sometimes you and I place our trust in religious practices or rituals or a place or a membership, but Jesus teaches us it's too small of a thing to place one's trust in the church of the Lord. Rather, we should place our trust in the Lord of the church. I've met folks that have said, you know, I don't go to church anymore. And the reason I don't go is because I went to this church one time and they didn't act right. Well, they're messed up. 
Yeah, but they kept talking about Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't say the church saves. If had he said the church saves, we'd be in a mess. But it's the Lord of the church. You put your trust and hope in the Lord of the church. Are you, and is that making sense to you? They mistook the enemy and therefore they mistook the Messiah. The Jews wanted to be restored in national prominence. They wanted someone to conquer Rome and secure their freedom, not recognizing that their captivity was not to a nation or to an empire, but to sin. What held them captive was not Roman rule. What held them captive were unleashed passions within them. What held them captive was an enemy who came against them. That's what the true enemy was, and that's what they needed to be saved from, not from some national government. Jesus came to save from the penalty and from the power of sin and one day to deliver from its presence. But that's always been God's plan. And it's always been what the enemy's been against. The, the enemy is the enemy and he, he plays on our desires. If you're taking notes, Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw, this is, the, this is pretty early on in history, friends. There's two people. One's name Eve. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. What did she do? God gave them everything in the garden. And even instructions, stay away from that one tree. And they said, man, I really want to get a hold of that one tree. Why? Man, that looks good. That's some good looking apples. Or oranges or whatever. Some good-looking fruit. And uh, some of you, your, your theology just got messed up. Did he call that an orange? I thought it was an apple. I've seen, I've seen pictures from the Garden of Eden. I mean, Polaroids. And every one of them had an apple involved in there. And I know, I know, I know. It was a piece of fruit. And he took a piece of, and he, it was desirable to make them wise. Because, you know, here's what the devil said. God, God. God's holding back from you. If you'll take it into your own hands, you can get something God wouldn't have given you. By the way, that's exactly right. The enemy wasn't Rome. The enemy was this roaming heart within us that wanted to secure something on our own rather than to take it from a good God who'd give it to us. That's how, that's how God described it. Genesis 4 verses 6 to 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Do you know why Jesus came? So that you would gain mastery over that which truly holds you captive. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 tells us the enemy Says, says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, uh, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's an enemy, but it's not Rome. There's an enemy, and it's not Pennsylvania. There's an enemy, and it's not Mar-a-Lago. That enemy has been wandering around playing the same game over and over and over and over again since the garden. And Jesus said, I've come to take care of the real enemy, not that enemy. 
God's not left us to fight alone, though. He stands with us. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And when, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. And the Lord himself not only stands with us, but he prays for us. Are you ready? Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon. <laughs> Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Man, I'm going to tell you, if you can't find encouragement in anything else today, the fact that Jesus would pray for you, that your faith would not fail, ought to lift your spirits. And you... When once you've turned again, in other words, you're going to blow it, but you're coming home. When once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Why did Jesus weep on this day of entry to celebration? Why did he weep? It wasn't because the cross was a week away. He walked to the cross on his own. It's because some missed it. Many missed it. There he was coming into their presence, and because they'd not receive him as he is, they'd miss him forever. You know, sometimes you can be a Christ follower and forget who the enemy is. Or you can focus on the war without and forget the war within. And thereby miss the real redemption, the real rescue, the real reason. Why did Jesus weep? If he were standing in the back of the room today, he'd weep because some got this close to salvation and walked away from it. They got this close. They got this close. And the distance between their head and their heart stopped them. They felt in their heart, oh, God does love me. God's made a way. But in their mind, they thought, but my philosophy professor said religion was just the opiate of the masses and that that's crazy. And people with religion are just those people that, well, they just, they just buy off on things because they can't figure out how the world really works. And they missed it. Jesus said, I've come riding on a donkey right into the midst of your circumstances. And because I didn't look exactly the way you saw or the way you necessarily agreed with, with my redemption... You missed it. And hence, Jesus wept. Let me put a bow on this thing. My time's up. Don't miss it. You may be a Christ follower here today and you're going, man, I've been, I've prayed the prayer, Chris. Yeah, but are you walking in abundant life? What do you mean? I mean, Jesus laid out some pretty good instructions and said, if you'll follow that, you'll experience the fullness that I've come to give you. And you said, yeah, but I don't like that. And I like that. And I like that. But I, I don't like that. And, and I don't know why it's not working. <laughs> For the same reason, when I try to build something without the instruction manual, I've got stuff left over. Because I ignored the instructions. If you don't like what you're getting, why not go back to what God intended to give you? Do you know you could start over today? 
I'm a Christ follower, Chris. I've blown it and you're telling me I could start over? That's exactly what I'm telling you. But not because I come up with a good idea, but because that's what Jesus said. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You could start over today. But you may be here today and you've never yielded to Christ because there were some things you didn't understand. There were some things you didn't want to turn loose. Of. There were some ways that you thought Jesus ought to be that he didn't seem to be. And because of that, you were putting him on the outside. Friend, you can put him off for a while, but he'll weep. And then he'll come back and you'll weep. Because he's not changing based on your opinion of him. But he'd love for you to know him as he is. And he invited you to. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come for people who've got it all together. I came for people who were a mess. And if you today could say, Lord, I'm a mess. Jesus would say, that's wonderful. I've come just for you. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Chris, and I pray that the message you've just heard has been a blessing to you directly from the heart of God. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at englewoodbaptist.com next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us to reach a wider audience with the life-changing message of hope in Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.